What is the Podcaster Matrix? The Podcaster Matrix is your source for podcast media hosting. Get your entire podcast library hosted now at podcastermatrix.com. Shield. It's an organization that both exists and doesn't exist all at the same time. For those in the know, SHIELD, the Strategic Homeland Intervention, Enforcement and Logistics Division, is the counterterrorism and intelligence agency run by Director Nick Fury. Its global reach, with thousands of operatives with differing skill sets across the globe, continues to grow. SHIELD's activities have been documented for a long time, both in comic books and feature films. Those legendary tales now transfer to the smaller screen in a weekly series on ABC, via Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a chronicle of the findings of a crack team of S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. This is the detailed review of those chronicles. Set your life model decoy to take care of life's business for now. It's time for another episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast from Two Guys Talking. Desperate times call for desperate measures. While this season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has only recently spooled up, the action is fast, furious, and unexpected inside this most recent offering. May is viable and our mobile gang of 30-eyed heroes is seeking out the facts and pieces of the puzzle. The players from the 1930s are seeing things beyond their wildest dreams and Enoch ends up being left behind? It's a jam-packed second offering during this episode and now it's time to review it all during the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. A complete, detailed, and always educational review of each and every episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming. This time, Season 7, Episode 2, Know Your Onions. Greetings, everybody. I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And by appropriately sounding not-quite-space-age walkie-talking, on the Two Guys Talking Teleconference Suite is... Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Nick, it's good to have you remotely. Let's get to some quick housekeeping. Feedback makes the world go round. Uh, Many thanks to those of you that have sent in feedback. We love hearing from all of the usual suspects that grace the downloads of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. But we want more. And that's where we ask all of you that haven't yet connected with us to drop over to our website at agentsofshield.tv. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you're thinking as well as having a review over either at Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you take in your podcasts. Some other Marvel perspective reviews spooling up. What are you ready for? Ah, another strange call to the audience here early. We're spooling up some other missed perspective reviews for the Marvel Universe, and frankly, we want to know what you want to hear. We've done a whole bunch over the last series of years when it comes to Marvel perspective reviews, but there's a whole lot that we've not yet gotten to. We're looking at bringing in some guests that will have some great perspective inside of the perspective reviews for a variety of films. We'll make a list of what we've got currently, but then also what we've got coming up immediately as the summer progresses. Let us know what you want reviewed inside the perspective review cone by accessing our website. Again, that's agentsofshield.tv. Fill out the quick web form and tell us which Marvel film that we haven't yet reviewed that you'd like us to jump into with both feet. Nick, we've got an episode that won't make you cry, but it is called Know Your Onions. Season 7, Episode 2 of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on ABC and Hulu streaming. Let's get to it. Sponsored by Acoustica's Mixed Craft Recording Software. Bloggers Bug and the St. Charles Office Center. Going dark in the 1930s. This is very interesting, and just just having a reasonably new car, it's funny how you can't now go dark. You can turn your lights off, but for me and my vehicle, I actually have to get out of my car and then lock my car, and then all the lights will go off. I don't have the option to just go, hey, man, lights off. <laughs> so it was it was fun to see this 
you know, this this speedster from the 1930s just literally pull into a place and all the lights in the engine go off and the people just fly by them but because, of course, they would. Well, it's been a pretty appropriate way of ditching pursuits in film and television for a long time. I, I really don't think that uh, uh, more recent films and televisions have, have actually gone into the whole, hey, you can't really do this anymore because it's impossible. <laughs> Not that you should do it, <laughs> right? but it's impossible to do it because even, even me, if I forget to turn on my headlights, I, I, there are still those running lights. Right. So if it's not completely dark just yet and I'm seeing that, I'm already assuming, oh, yeah, I turned my headlights on. No big deal. Yeah, the other lights that don't disappear until you lock up the car are the ones inside my vehicle. So even when you lock it, you've got like 10 seconds of the lights and then they fade out. So it's, again, it's just, it's a, not only is it an era thing, it's just a working the script thing that it was a, it was an interesting script moment that I thought needed to be shared. Ankle pikers and bootleggers. <laughs> this this episode was rife with all kinds of interesting vocabulary words and 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 colloquialisms from the 1930s that I thought was a lot of fun. In fact, the episode is actually named after and by one as well. So it was appropriate that through the whole thing, you've got something very interesting. And the first one that popped up beyond the title, of course, was ankle pikers. Yeah, I've I've never heard that expression before. I thought it was interesting. I mean, you know, know what a bootlegger is. I know what an ankle biter is, but I've never heard of an ankle piker. Yeah, researching the internet, the only thing that I could even remotely think of, and again, having been a former wrestler, ankle picking, yes, is obviously where you're grabbing someone's ankle and then doing something nefarious as you try to pin them inside of a wrestling match. But ankle piking? Never heard of it. And that's actually another strange call to the audience inside this episode. Let us know if you've ever heard that term before and what you think it means or the context that you're gathering from the episode. I mean, beyond, obviously, what we got. Let us know what you think by going over to our website. That's agentsofshield.tv. Fill out the quick web form and let us know what you think. A second title card that is, once again, Noir. This is cool. I Again, I think we're going to see a flash to a different time simply because the, quote, time window that we'll talk about later inside this episode is closing and did close as the episode concluded. Uh, but I love seeing this noir-esque title card again. It was a lot of fun. Well, yeah, it uh, harkens back to the early films of the time and also the comic books that the show is loosely based on. Mm, well said. I hadn't even thought of that. Do you remember when the first uh, uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. comic was released offhand, Nick? Uh, there was Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., and mm -hmm. that was in the 60s, maybe? Yeah. Is that anything you followed? When did you first get interested at all or remember your first intermingling of memory with S.H.I.E.L.D.? Do you remember? Well, S.H.I.E.L.D. is a organization that was... At the, well, I mean, up until a handful of years ago was world-encompassing. So, you know, if there was ever a need for a spy organization or a need for a secret mission or something like that in any of the Marvel comic books, it, it's not a big surprise if somebody from S.H.I.E.L.D. would show up. So I've known about S.H.I.E.L.D., but I never actively followed any, any one particular book that focused on just the agents of shield yeah i i hadn't either I, I remember i remember the accidental gracings of you know walking into a story that oh hey look it's nick fury from shield back in the 80s but i i, I don't think i ever had an attention span for anything shield in fact i think we talked a little bit about that inside of our uh, series of very first episodes as we started the agents of shield podcast way back when uh, for those of you that are curious, we'll, we'll link up a couple of those original podcasts that featured a completely different host than Nick. But I, I do remember us talking about the inception of, you know, what our first S.H.I.E.L.D. memories were. You can go listen to those, of course, after you're done listening to this episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. We'll have it in the show notes over at agentsofshield.tv. The walkie-talkies finally get a talkin'. 
This is cool. You all will note that, again, Nick is connecting via semi-walkie-talkie-ness inside this episode. But inside this episode, we finally do get connectivity via the walkie-talkies that Deke and others have inside of this. We also get the chance to see Freddy marvel at something that, quote, doesn't need to be plugged in to be used. And as he started saying things like that, and then as we got to a couple of other lines later on, when they started talking about World War II, you have to stop for a second because so, I won't say so very few, but I think so few new series actually span before World War II actually happened. And so it's funny to have that mention of something reasonably modern inside of a series that is set prior to World War II. I think it's it's one of the most endearing features of this episode. Yeah, I can't recall anything that... Uh primarily takes place during the roaring 20s and 30s that I've watched. I mean, I'm sure there's been shows, but I've never really watched them. Yeah. And that's actually, this is, I have a feeling this episode's going to be rife with calls to the audience. So we ask you, what which shows are Nick and I completely missing out on that are set sometime before the Second World War that you think we might have any interest in? Let us know what you think by, again, going over to our website over at agentsofshield.tv. Fill out that quick web form and tell us more about a series that happens before the Second World War that we might be interested in. The realization that May is now viable. This was cool. Inside the last episode, we noted that May just disappeared because now she's viable. And, oh, by the way, she's suspending herself in the ceiling Ness inside of the inside of the Zephlorian. And uh, here, I'm assuming we get a little snapshot of a flashback, sort of, so that we are able to see where the, the healing machine bed that we haha marveled at inside of the last episode as a talking tech point actually enables us to see what happened then and her few steps forward and interaction with Enoch as she uh, as she woke back up. Yeah, I was uh, surprised that we're getting, you know, FaceTime and she's fully conscious. I was expecting something a little bit more, I don't know, savage. And, I mean, we do get something like that. We don't get anything necessarily <laughs> savage. We get something, somebody that's extremely calculated. Yeah. Um, my thing is, is that right off the bat you could tell there's something wrong with May. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I was one of Nick's favorite voices is, um, especially when we're delivering our storytelling, retelling elements inside of another podcast we do called The Curious Goods over at CuriousGoodsPodcast.com. One of one of Nick's favorite things to pull out that I always just cackle at is his his voice for little angry devil-ridden girls where it's, hey! <laughs> and I, I, I instantly thought of that when, when, when May kind of isn't May and is re- reasonably aggressive, ready to go toe-to-toe with Robot Man inside of this one. And uh, I, I got I got a good kick out of that. The, I, I thought that the the literal ha-ha face-offs with Enoch and May inside of this episode were one of the best parts of the episode. The Chronicops arrive. I figure we'll just do away with having to figure out that they're chronicoms because we know that they're chronicoms, but they're chronicoms dressed as cops, hence they will be called chronicops. <laughs> anyway, they arrive and uh, yeah, and I got to tell you, I love the lead chronicop. He's he's a ton of fun, and I would love to know more of where we've seen him. We've seen him in a variety of things, but man, he just he rocks the screen every time he's on it inside this episode, and he doesn't really say all that much. Well, I think where the chronicops are concerned, less is more. I think that's incredibly well said. There's something to knowing that the robot people from the future know a whole lot more than anybody that we know knows and that, that is showcased by their silence. I think is extremely effective inside this episode. You know what was also missing, Nick, inside this episode was there. I didn't detect any real direct nods to any Terminator films inside of this one regardless of how they were shooting or what was going on inside of this episode. No, no, I didn't notice that either. That lady's doing all right for having been shot. (laughs) You'll remember in episode one, the lady in the red dress with the thick red lipstick got shot in the torso. 
Uh, but May's able to crack open a first aid kit with some forceps, and, you know, she's pretty okay after just a few minutes. Yep. Seems to be story logic. Yeah, I was looking for for something a little more credible here, especially that they're, I guess it's because it's a red dress and they just chose to not go there, but, like, there wasn't any blood at all. Oh, there was blood. I saw blood. Did you? I'll have to go back and look. Yeah. I'll have to go back and look. It's just a little bit darker. It wasn't a pool of blood. It was a larger circle of blood on the red dress around the wound. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing horror movie gore, but uh, yeah. it was there. And it's a smaller caliber weapon, so eh, maybe maybe we're looking at something decent. I'll have to take a look again. Simmons MacGyver's a test that she hopes fails. This was extraordinary and was the first stair step to some really great revelations inside this episode. And I loved how all of this was played together. The, the little sewing machine of the characters and the dialogue that was used here and the, the storytelling element that this is showcasing, I thought really paid off well. Well, yeah, the, the fact that we know that Simmons is smart enough to be able to pull something like this off, but then to actually see it happen, to, to utilize the, the prop department for the period-accurate materials... Uh, definitely, definitely helped sell the illusion that Simmons could pull something like this off. Yeah. Well, what I really liked too, and it re- again, it reminded me of the original MacGyver series that I, is still one of my favorites when it comes under reruns on whatever station or streaming set. Is that all the stuff? None of it. None of it is kinda done. It's all actually done. There might be some expediency that's put in there to try and cram it into forty-two to forty-three minutes. But the the things that they're doing, all the pieces parts are there in front of you. And then with the explanation or the dialogue or just what you physically see happen in regard to action after something's been put in place, that show was legend for being able to showcase what was happening within a tiny, quick little tech epithet. I don't know what else to call it because it was always spit out quickly. And then they pay off the technological marvel that's showcased by MacGyver inside that show and I thought this was great. The only thing that I thought was greater was Patton Oswald kind of saying, yeah, yeah, just get to the end of the story. Tell me the end of the story. I love that, too. I thought that that was a, that was a fun bit to not have to sit and endure Mr. Mr. Rabbit's science class. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that. Freddie's mom is silent for two years. Hmm. This is a very interesting storytelling element that I don't know that they're actually going to do anything about, but I wanted to make sure we made a note of it because I thought it was very interesting that somebody is so struck by somebody's death that for two years they say nothing. I I thought that that was something that we should definitely not talk about. Tragic death of somebody could cause some sort of catatonic state like that to remain because it's not just... She hasn't talked in two years. It's not like, oh, I'm just not going to say anything anymore. Something is wrong with this woman mentally. She had a mental break when her husband committed suicide. Mm-hmm. The, the thing is, is that the science doesn't exist in 1931 to be able to say, oh, she's in a catatonic state because of trauma. Yeah, very interesting. And again, I, I love the the backwards-facing telescope that this this episode offers to a time that really was completely different. Yeah, a very interesting piece, and again, I don't know if we'll we'll see anything more of it. We do have a time machine. We do have Freddy in play. We do have the future of Hydra that has to be paid off to save S.H.I.E.L.D., quote-unquote. So who knows what, what the future holds, as well as the, the Zephlorian being able to go anywhere in time at this point. The Freddy actor is outstanding. In the initial episode offering of this season, I wasn't really taken or swayed at all by Freddy. But inside this episode, not only does he have the opportunity to spread his wings and show some really great creative, emotional moments inside of this episode, I, I thought he was tremendous inside of a couple of scenes inside of this, inside this episode. Well, in the first episode, he was, he was in the background simply because... I'm, I'm sure that they were like, well, we can't focus on him too much because then people think he's important. 
And mm-hmm. then lo and behold, by the end of the episode, oh, he's important. Yeah. Now the cat's out of the bag, so we're, we're able to focus more on the character. And, and I agree with you. The actor did an outstanding job. Yeah, what I love is this actor delivers his lines and never once did I think, ah, well, he's running through a series of lines in his head. Not, never at all. And that's a, especially appearing on a show that's in its last season uh, for what I'm assuming is a very young actor. That's a gift. And I really appreciated what he was able to lend to this episode. I thought it was terrific. Yo-Yo can't perform. Very interesting. I, I guess this is the other shoe dropping where she's got these lovely arms that work and allow her to touch her face and feel and all of the cool happiness. Awesome. The only piece that's not so awesome is that somehow either psychologically or because insert reasons, her powers are now either interrupted or the connection between her being and able and wanting to perform now has a speed bump that is preventing her from performing, especially in a time of need. I thought it was represented wonderfully inside this episode where the the bottle, you can see the bottle start to careen over the edge. And I think everybody that was watching goes, oh, well, obviously this is where we're going to see Yo-Yo go save the bottle day so that it doesn't make any sound and the chronocops will go away. Eh, wrong. That's not what happens here. And I, again, it's one of the one of the hallmarks of this show that I absolutely love is that the show bothers to go in different directions that you never would have thought it would go because it's completely outside the recipe box. And this was just one of the most recent samples of that. Yo-Yo had a really, really rough season six. And now we have this new wrinkle that will, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming, will propel her character and her character arc through at least the majority of this seventh and final season mm-hmm. uh, you know, is is it in her head is it all in her head is it something does it have something to do with the shrike being absorbed into her body mm. yeah I'm, I'm i'm super curious as to where they'll take it and it's another great character building moment for yo-yo who i mean obviously we're only in inside of episode two and she's only just gotten out of the zephlorian but Again, I'm eager to see what they're going to do with her, and they're planting the seeds of something happening with her. It's again, it's great. It's great, masterful storytelling for a mostly sub character at this point, but with a path to potential greatness. I love it. It's the super serum go go juice. How about that? Suddenly Simmons is figured out and gives a whiff to the onions and not only knows the onions, we now know that the liquid that Gemma was able to resurrect from a shoe from the lady that got shot in the torso is actually a remnant of the super soldier serum that originally transformed the Red Skull. So how about that for connective tissue inside this series to the rest of Marveldom? Well, technically, when you think about it, going back to the first episode here, when you see a vial of mysterious liquid that has a Hydra stamp on it, it's it's not too far of a leap to think, hmm, I wonder if that could be somehow related to the Super Soldier Serum. Yeah, very exciting. And again, if this is, if this is that little dangle of super kick-ass that we were talking about inside of last episode's review... Uh, sign me up. I mean, if there's a if there's a, if there's a circle that I love to banter about, it's anything origin of Captain America and the Super Soldier Serum. Because again, I'm so, I'm I'm such a sucker for the first Captain America film and anything that is original Cap stuffs. Bring it on. Can May do damage to Enoch? Now, originally. Enoch confronts May and has a syringe behind his back. And I I wondered to myself, uh, if he's an alien robot slash metal man slash whatever we're going to call him from this episode, uh, what what damage is May actually going to be able to do to him? And thankfully, later inside the episode, we find out a a little bit more about what she can and did do. Uh, But I I, it's kind of where I looked at him and I looked at her and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. 
And again, later on, it's paid off inside the episode and we get to actually see what she can do. But when I first saw this, I thought it was, you know, I thought it was going to be a real short fight where Enoch will just grab her by the neck and lift her up and then stick her in the ass with the with the syringe and she'll go night night. It was uh, it was a way to set up the fight later. I think if we would have had a fight right out the bat, the audience especially would have been going, well, there's something definitely seriously wrong with May. You know, right now it's just, okay, well, she's weird, but, you know, she did die. Yeah, so and she's we'll, alive. We'll give her a little bit. Yeah, yeah. We'll give her her space. Yeah, I like this mostly because, again, it falls completely outside the box of, okay, let's go grab a piece of recipe and, okay, toss it in right here. Cool, checkbox. None of that happens here with either the uh, the accosting of what I'm assuming was a night-night gun and that whole enchilada and then the actual fight that occurs later inside the episode. I, I, I loved where all of it went. I didn't, I didn't feel at all like it was just a cookie cutter thing. It was all very original. Koenig went along. This was fun. I, again, I'm, I'm glomming on more to Koenig inside this, inside this episode because I like how they're using him a lot. They're using him as a piece of that audience pathos thing that we've been talking about forever inside this series where he can, haha, marvel at what he sees and allow us some retrospect into our own feelings of what we would feel if we were in that position. I really enjoy what they're doing with not only his perspective, not only his dialogue, but then the portrayal by Patton Oswalt as his character, I think is tremendous. Well, with everything that we know about time travel, the fact that you're not supposed to reveal too much of the future to in, in the past, you know, because you could destroy things, is like rule number one. You know, I don't care what Endgame says. <laughs> and knowing that Keening, his family is so important to S.H.I.E.L.D. later on, it makes sense that Coulson or Robo Coulson or Chronic Coulson, however, whatever we're going to call him. Yeah, L.M. Coulson. Uh, takes, takes the initiative and basically says, okay, yeah, yeah, we're, we're not from Mars, but, uh, you know, we, we are special people and we're trying to protect good people from bad people. And I'm wondering, uh, because, you know, time travel, the rules are, are, are iffy, but this may be how S.H.I.E.L.D. started to begin with. You know, we don't know that a group didn't travel back in time and interact with people in the 30s that would then later on in the 40s be a part of the SSR that would turn into S.H.I.E.L.D. You know, it's 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 one of those questions that people who love dissecting the the rules and the what ifs of time travel. This is this is time travel 101 right here. Yeah. Uh, I think the reason I love it is because, again, if we consider what happened with the end of Agent Carter and what we kind of surmise as the beginnings of the SSR program and then S.H.I.E.L.D. from that series and then the lore of Marvel in general, we're right inside that wheelhouse of really cool, awesome stuff. And that they're choosing that that is the piece of time that at least at least according to these two pieces so far is kind of got that glancing blow off of to see what then is going to happen i'm super excited that i think that we'll get to it but the 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 end of this episode i think is tremendous and fosters along a lot of possibilities in that realm time to crack open the case but freddy draws down this is another example where while Freddy does draw down on Mac and Deke, it isn't your traditional and the bad guy draws down and insert formulaic storyline number eight. And I really appreciated that. Uh, again, I, I love it when this show is able to take us in directions that not only we didn't anticipate, but we know that the episode has to continue because there's obviously 11 other episodes to get to this season, yes, but I like it when they give us something that's different, outside the box and original, and this was a total piece of it. Totally agree. The beatdown. 
halted by a voice from the past. This was wonderful because there's a series of elements here that are really, really outstanding. One is the fight of Robot Man and May inside of this Enoch and, and May. And the, the little repartee that they have, the standoff, the machination, the beatdown that is delivered by Enoch to May that is just impactful enough to know that Enoch means business as opposed to that he's just some uh, metal man that she's going to walk over. I appreciated the the whole dance here. The fighting was, I, I thought it was, again, one of those fun insert fight choreographies that we've been talking about for a series of years here inside of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But what I really loved about all of it is when the fight is, you know, May's just wailing on him and peeling off the, the data from the next generation-like pieces of Enoch's scalp. What I love is the outside-the-box reaction that May is able to deliver as the scene ends, where L.M. Coulson and the rest of the guys appear, and L.M. Coulson speaks out to May, and she instantly turns. And rather than it being that that whole wonder thing, like what we had with Daisy slash Quake at the beginning of the last episode, that's not what we get at all. And so, again, taking that very interesting outside the box departure reaction that we is not at all what any of us thought would be there. That was another giant checkbox for this episode for me. I loved it. Yeah, this whole sequence just goes to show that there is something severely wrong with May. Uh, leading up to this, too, there's that line she says when, you know, she's insisting on going and helping Mac and Deke, and she's they're in trouble. I have to help them. I'm the one who protects everybody. Yeah. yeah. But she's saying it's, th- there's no, there's no emotion behind it. Right. It's a line of code. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Uh, and I totally I'm wondering what, what happened, what, what, what is the, the consequence of bringing somebody back to life using this alien tech, this high tech alien technology. Yeah. This whole exchange before the fight, the fight, and then, seeing Coulson and just, you know, yeah, I know it's not you. You're still dead. Yeah, I'll stop fighting. Uh, also, very on May. Yeah. And and not being inquisitive or wanting to get more definitive details of, of about exactly what's going on. Again, very outside the box and not what you would expect. And I, again, I love it anytime the show does that. I am not a robot. I'm a chronicom. If you'll excuse me, I have to fix my face. <laughs> yeah, right now, Enoch, and I think Enoch has been legend for things like this since we met him way back. And I love, I love this. The, the, the peppering of that being shared inside of the middle of what the hell is going on. I thought was tremendous. And uh, again, the, the, the deadpan play, the matter of factly, not quite data character that they've made with Enoch inside this series. I, I really enjoy him. Yeah. The aspect of the deadpan humor, the dry humor, the straight man, if you will, when you've got so many other characters that can emote and spew out cultural references, pop cultural references, Mm -hmm. whereas Enoch, he knows things he just cannot express the relevance of what he knows. Yeah. It's all in the same tone. Mm-hmm. So when we get a line like this, yeah, we laugh because, you know, Robot Man made a funny. And it's, it's part humor aspect of the show that I feel has kept it engaging to audiences from, oh, season two? Maybe even a little bit of season one. Yeah, that's fair. I totally agree with that. A new sound. The time window is closing. Oh, this is very interesting. Not only was the sound unique inside of this, but that they have just kind of this random, hey, time window's now closing. It becomes an instant, interesting squeeze play mechanism for the show, but also for this final season and the fans' zeal and interest in seeing what happens. I thought it was great. 
traditionally I hate things like this that are counting clock things. I usually don't like them. But when you stack all that on top of what they built this season, I think it's an excellent, excellent mechanism to get them out of one particular either era or time or situation and kick their ass into the next one. And uh, again, the subsequent end of this episode, I think, is just a cherry on top of what we can expect from this kind of mechanism. Yeah, the way that it's presented, it's sudden, but it's supposed to be shocking. It's supposed to be the uh uh-oh moment because you didn't realize there's a window. Yeah. You know, there was no talk of that. You, You assume that, oh, okay, well, as soon as we fix things here in 1931, we flip a switch and then we're back in the present. Right. We get back to the panel and dial the DeLorean to go back to insert date. Well, no, that's not how it works. Yeah. Now it's evidently a combination of quantum leap and sliders. Yes. Yes. You know, because quantum leap, you, you do what you had to do and then, you know, you'll leap. Where sliders was concerned, every time they went to a new reality, of course, the timer would tell them how long they had, but sometimes it was a long period of time. Sometimes it was a short period of time. Yeah. And having something like that added to this, especially it being the final season, this makes more sense because now you have no idea if somebody is going to get left behind. Yeah, I thought this was extraordinary, and I think it's going to be an excellent piece of basting power that is going to make the storytelling all the more exciting. Daisy urges Deke to kill Freddie Malik. There's a couple of things about this that I found very interesting. The first is, of course, oh my God, Daisy has essentially given the green light to Deke to kill Freddie Malik, okay? But then I guess everybody else aboard that may or may not have been listening, with the exception of Mac, of course, is okay with it. Well, I, that that's inaccurate. She was saying that to uh, she was saying saying that to Deke in secret. Hmm. Okay. Nobody else knew about it. Okay. Well, and again, we kind of we kind of have it where Daisy is going rogue. I guess. I, 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 anyway, I like it. I like it because again, it's another X factor that of the people in the room, I would not figure that Daisy would be the one to get on the time to kill Freddie Malik train or even launch the kill Freddie Malik train. So kudos again to the writing staff and creative staff of this season for giving us another curveball inside this episode i see for me i'm going to have to partially disagree this aspect of the episode kind of irked me a little bit because daisy knows the consequences and thinks that whatever happens will be better Mm -hmm. yet when she's confronted by colson and the rest of them they all chide her for thinking that way because what if something worse comes into play mm-hmm. by changing things. Yeah. And for having Daisy be the one that says, no, screw, screw the rules, screw what happens, take the shot. I'm like, that's so totally out of character for her. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe they did it because they want to expand her character. Maybe she's more of a le- less following orders. And now she wants to be a take charge type of person, mm-hmm. I guess. Right. I think the only reason why we didn't we, we we had her do it is because two seasons prior, we had Yo-Yo telling everybody that Coulson's got to die, and she was willing to kill Coulson to save the future. Yeah. So I mean, we've done we've done this before, mm-hmm. and Daisy not killing Coulson at the end of season five, like she was supposed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would think that she would have a better understanding of what the consequences are going to be if she was actually able to convince Deke to pull that trigger. That's actually where we ask you guys, what do you think? Is Daisy making the kill shot call to Deke in character or a curveball inside this episode that makes it more robust? Or is it outside the box and something to be hated, just like Nick did? Let us know what you think by going over to our website at agentsofshield.tv. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think. Watching the clock. This was cool. Again, I am not a fan of just about anything that evokes a ticking clock because inevitably I will glance down at my watch and I'll go, okay, 
14 minutes, 37 seconds, understood. And then when we get to 32 minutes, 28 seconds, well, WTF. I just, the, 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 the overall management of when a clock is inserted is usually reasonably El Crapo and terribly unsatisfying. However, inside Except this episode... show 24, which <laughs> was nothing but a ticking clock. <laughs> right, right. That needed to pay off because, hey, dumbass, you're watching an hour of the show. <laughs> However, inside this show, what I really enjoyed was that they were able to pull it off. They actually, they cut it a little bit short. It, it was actually less than that, but that's okay. I don't mind it when it goes short. It's when it goes long is when I have a real problem because it it's very much like having seen the trailer for next week's episode and you know that insert name of character that is going to be put on the bed of peril is, you know, the example would be, is Mac going to die? Will Mac die a terrible death from the, the fiery blaze inside this episode? Well, of course not because... At 18 minutes inside of the episode, you have a commercial for next week's episode. Well, and Max in it. Okay, well, that, that kind of kills the peril. It's the same thing with extended time things that happen inside of television, feature films, and streaming media, where if you don't obey the clock, why did you bother having a clock? And that they took the time to obey the clock. In fact, they, they clipped a couple of legs off the clock, making the time actually shorter as the episode span. I like that a lot. The chrono weapons are apparently chronocentric. This is very interesting. And for anybody that follows firearms, there was actually a movement, oh, probably about 10 years ago, where they wanted to make it where the reader on a firearm would actually green light the ability for the firearm to work. And if it didn't detect or recognize your Traditionally, it was either a thumbprint or a forefinger print that was on the side of the weapon. If it didn't recognize the, the actual print, then too bad for you, you weren't able to fire the weapon. Well, apparently the Chronicoms and Chronicom technology has adopted a piece of that where, I mean, it's just a total guess. But if there is a, I guess, Chronicom DNA detection for the weapons that they use, then they fire. But if you're not a Chronicom, well, then the weapons are a stick that you strike people with. I really enjoyed that. Again, it's outside the box writing. I think what I also like, too, is when you go, hey, look, characters with energy weapons that destroy, you know, really do just like anything. If they were to take four or five shots of anything that they were pointing it at, whatever they were pointing it to would probably be reduced to dust. And knowing that they can do that, but they didn't do that, even though they knew where our heroes were the way that they're filming it. The, the filmatics that they're using this, the sequences and the, the pacing of the scene that they showed inside that last final uh, shootout. I really enjoyed it because they, they kept us from needing to go. Oh, okay. Well somehow the guys with this tiny little 38 special are going to outgun and, and beat somehow the chronicoms. And I, I like that they were able to make that completely believable throughout the entire thing, including Mac going to kick one of their, one of the uh, the main Chronicops' ass, or at least try. I, I like that that was all paid off appropriately. Well, you can't have an action sequence without a payoff. Where is liquefy mode? For those that haven't listened to our podcast previously or perhaps have forgotten Mike Wilkerson's penchant for Quake wanting to shake the realm. All I could think about inside of this episode, especially during that last shootout where Quake is hiding behind some wooden crates of stuff, was where in the hell is liquefy mode from Quake? You know, the button that she pushes internally and points her arms at people and they turn to liquid. Where, where is all that? And I realized that it would be the instant cessation of an episode and not probably not nearly as exciting asterisk. But I really do wish that at some point during this series, they would just turn Quake loose. Well, maybe liquefy mode wasn't an option because she wasn't wearing her gauntlets. The gauntlets are the only things that keep her bones from breaking when she uses her powers. Hmm. That's interesting. I, 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 I guess, I guess you got to be able to walk around and not be 
accidentally recognized? Couldn't she just say, like, I've got cerebral palsy <laughs> or polio got me something? I, I don't know. Something appropriate so she could have the gauntlets on. There's got to be polio something. Polio got my arms? <laughs> Who knows? Not it, my leg. It's the European version. Who knows? Something. It's the Canadian version. The Canadian. <laughs> there you go. It's the Canadian police version. I was in a terrible boating accident in Canada. That's why I have to wear these gauntlets forever. <laughs> Freddy shoots Koenig? Holy crap, look at this. Look at this, Nick. Uh, again, I, I thought we were going to have the evil bend happen, and we didn't have the evil bend happen. It, it was the storytelling point that got us to the next point. I enjoy that. Yeah, but unfortunately... Even though I was impressed with the actor playing Freddy, mm -hmm. the character was all over the place in this episode. Mm -hmm. You know, first he's the, you know, cocky yet confident bootlegger. Then he's the sensitive, you know, revealing personal information about his life. Then he's the angry, you're not going to, you know, ruin my future, young angsty guy. Then he's the oh, no, please don't kill me. I haven't done anything wrong. And then he's the, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm going to shoot Pat Oswald. He's all over the place. Mm. I don't know if that was intentional in the writing. I don't know if it was intentional in the acting. But to me, if I'm looking at this, Freddy's schizophrenic. Oh, yeah. There's... Or at the very least, <laughs> completely bipolar. Yeah, impulse control is not on the top of the list of Freddy's control uh, habits and tendencies, to be sure. And I, I think what you've just described is exactly what I've just stated, which is the whole impulse control thing. If, if we can point back to places where story, not storytelling, but where potentially good things or things that are going to benefit people go sideways, it's when the impulse control is completely missing or ends up going missing. And I think that's center stage for us inside this episode. That's why I really enjoyed it. Back to the clock equals definitively shorter than needed. That's good. Again, we talked about this already, but I wanted to make sure that when we got to the end of the clock inside of the episode where the time window closes, the time, the actual physical time that you're watching the television program, and I'm assuming that this is because I was actually watching via a streaming media, i.e. Hulu, that the time was shorter. Guys, I'll take shorter all day long. What I don't want is that extended thing where it's like eight, ten minutes longer than it's supposed to be because we got to jam a whole bunch of time and effort into it. I don't want any of that. I always want it to be on time or shorter. And they absolutely gave that to us with the delicious chocolate milkshake of awesome timekeeping inside this episode. Koenig stayed behind. This is brilliant. I, uh, again, a giant, giant kudos to actor Patton Oswald inside this episode who not only played the pathos character for the audience that's watching the episode, but also gave us a tiny little notch of the any character that you've ever seen inside of any time travel story that is at least remotely educated about what's going on and then wants and has a thirst for more and is curious and showcases it well. I enjoyed everything that I saw from him inside this episode. He definitely adds something to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. cast. Run, Enoch, run! Oh, shit. So the time window closes. Enoch is doing a full-on Forrest Gump run towards the back of the, the Zephlorian. And, oh, my God, he misses the window. Another showcase of being completely caught unaware by something that I would not have guessed would happen. Because, of course, Enoch has to be part of the crew inside this season. Well, maybe he doesn't. Well, he's also the only character that could be left behind, and they wouldn't have to worry about doing anything special for him. Enoch doesn't age. Right. You know, when they show back up in the timeline, they'll be able to, I'm sure they'll be able to find Enoch again, and sure, maybe decades have passed, but he'll look the same. Mm-hmm. And he's been recording history on Earth for thousands of years. What's a decade to Enoch? Yeah. 
You know, that's very interesting. Maybe he'll be the uh, he'll be the bellwether character inside the storytelling to let the heroes know whether or not their efforts have been appropriate or accurate or if the timeline is in proper alignment to foster the, the continuing development of what is going to be S.H.I.E.L.D. and Hydra's status. Maybe that's what they're going to do with the character. That's very well said. A Chronicom bartender and the ensuing future of the timeline. Very interesting. I love how this episode ends. And I think I love even more how it's framed. Where it's just a Chronicom providing information to a dude that's super curious about the future. And it doesn't fade to black with a, you know, a short 20s slash 30s piano tune. Uh, but it's damn close, and I thought it was really, really endearing as we close this episode. Well, it was a nice little nod to, I guess, Casablanca. Had a little bit of a Marvel spin on it, because Keening says, you know, this is the start of a marvelous friendship. Yeah, I, I could definitely, I, I would love to see a series of stories that encapsulate these two. I think that would be fun. And that, uh, obviously, that Koenig knows that Enoch is a Chronicom. I think that that just makes it even the more delicious. I, I love all that. It's time to take a break here during this episode of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, our complete, detailed, and always educational review of Season 7, Episode 2, Know Your Onions. We'll be right back. Wouldn't it be cool if your advertising could last forever? It can, with perpetual advertising. Here's how it works. Magazine, radio, and television ads are efforts that people might see or hear once, and then they're lost forever. Perpetual advertising provides you with the chance for repeat exposure and replayability weeks, months, even years after it's originally inserted inside a podcast. So even after your advertising is included in a podcast years ago, those efforts are still impactful, providing you with true return on investment. Real impact, thanks to perpetual advertising. Are you ready to change the way you and your company or organization advertises? Find out more and launch a unique perpetual advertising effort right now by visiting twoguystalking.com forward slash sponsors. The 1980s wasn't just known for big hair, shoulder pads, and Reaganomics. It was also known for horror both on the big screen and the small screen. While there were many different types of offerings, one sticks out above the rest. Friday the 13th, the series. No, it's got nothing to do with hockey masks, camp goers, and sharp, sharp knives. This was the show about cursed antiques and the hunt to recover them. Know what I'm talking about? Have no idea what I'm talking about? Either way, you should check out the Curious Goods Podcast. Head on over to CuriousGoodsPodcast.com and join in on the hunt. Make your podcast soar with the Editor Corps. The one question every podcaster needs to ask themselves is why am I still editing my own podcast? We all know that editing your own podcast is the worst part of the podcast experience. Get the editing off your plate and reclaim more time to make more content with The Editor Core. Affordable, talented, experienced podcast editors are ready to take your podcast literally to the next level to make it soar. Make your podcast soar with The Editor Core. EditorCore.com. That's EditorCore.com. Everyone, welcome back to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, our covering, our review of the final season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. This time it's season seven, episode two, Know Your Onions. Every time Nick and I come back from break, it's time to open up our S.H.I.E.L.D. dossiers. The S.H.I.E.L.D. dossiers are where Nick and I find either a compelling character portrayal, a storytelling element inside the episode, or something else that's tripped our collective review night. Fantastic. Nick, what have you got? I think my 
Shield dossier for this episode has got to be Mac. You know, for the entire episode, you've got him and you've got Deke looking after Freddy. And we, as the audience, know who Freddy is and what Freddy represents for the future. Mm -hmm. Yet at the same time, we're watching Mac treat this as, well, this this kid is important. This kid's got to live. we got to protect him. That continues throughout, even at the end of the episode, when he finds out who Freddy really is. And I love his anger at Deke and Daisy. Absolutely. For trying to solve the problem the easy way. Mm -hmm. And casting aside a whole lot of reason. Right. The whole whole concept of ripples and not waves gets tossed out the window and you can, you can literally see how enraged he is by the decision. I thought that was yeah, because it's too. not just a it's not just a wave. This is this would be a time typhoon. Yeah, no, that's very well said, and a, a great call on yet another wonderful acting portrayal by a dude that is just so underrated in this show, and I think as an actor in general. I can remember a couple of seasons ago. Oh my God, I'm tearing up thinking about it right now. <clears throat> as we get to the end of where Mac loses a couple of buddies that just kind of disappeared and we never saw or heard from them again because their series was canceled. Uh, but that, that Sayonara and the, the impactful nature of what he can encapsulate again, another character, another, another personality that can say so much just by saying so little. And this is another sample of that where it's nothing detailed. There isn't a paragraph that he emits. It's a series of words and the conveyance of that with the rage that is embedded inside of all of it is just so grand inside this episode. That's a great call for this episode and a, a definitive dossier moment for sure. I think inside this episode, my shield dossier is going to open and reveal diverse puzzle piece interlocking. I can imagine a time where people would have heard the words Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Time Travel, and Last Season. And of those things, you would think, okay, so are they just going to jam in a whole bunch of of reasonable softballs that are going to be couched inside of Back to the Future references that are going to give us a, a, a look at what's going on inside of the future as the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. flash through 13 episodes and then the season will be done? Because that's exactly what this last season could possibly become. And I don't detect any of that. And it's due to the wonderful interlocking puzzle pieces that, you, you know, when you when you open up a puzzle, you have the picture. And the picture is what you're using to base your putting together the puzzle pieces. And what I've, I think I've always appreciated, especially with the last three, maybe four seasons of this show, is that you may have accidentally sketched a picture of what's going to happen. And they will feed you continual puzzle pieces so that you can grab that piece and then kind of identify where it's supposed to go and then put it into place after it's delivered. But Nick and I have talked about this a couple of times. I am not the guy that can look at three episodes of a series and go, oh, I know exactly where this is going and be on. I'm not that guy. I'm not. Nick has done a much better job, especially in other television programs, not this one. To go, okay, well, obviously the murderer is blah. Or, okay, so the storyline involves that character that's kind of a nobody that develops to be the best person in the in the team of people and rah, rah, time for season two. Nick is spot on for stuff like that. I'm, I'm just not that guy. And what I love about this is that this show is able to give you, allow you to sketch out kind of your own picture And then as they feed you a puzzle piece, you get to kind of put that in place, but it's fluid. You know what I'm saying? Not only does the whole picture change as the the season gets put into perspective and into place and as the picture becomes whole, I, I love that they give you that dance of you get to go and kind of think of what's going on and that it's so diverse. I... I think it's safe to say you and I have no idea where any of this stuff is going. And I love this show for that. Well, and I think that's also why the show has 
it has such great quality is because it's not your standard inside the box writing. You know, even even when it is, it's not. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's incredibly well said. That's where we ask you guys, what was your S.H.I.E.L.D. dossier inside this episode, Season 7, the final season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Episode 2? Know your onions. Let us know what you think by going over to our website. Again, that's agentsofshield.tv. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think. Ah, the rating inside of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast. Again, our review of Season 7, Episode 2, Know Your Onions. The scale works thusly. A 10 is on top of the heap. A recently repaired scalp that makes you look like just a bald dude instead of a robot metal man. A 1 is on the bottom of the scale. Having to choke down a bullet that's been dug out of some lady you don't even know. Everything starts at 7 as an average. The numbers go up with positives. The numbers go down with negatives. And Nick, there are no halvesies. Nick, what do you got? By using the, the scale in which everything starts at a 7, things go up with positives, things go down with negatives, I guess it really comes down to my small Nick picks for this episode. Mm-hmm. Did I hate the fact that Daisy was going quote-unquote rogue? No, I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it either. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it felt to me like there wasn't enough reason behind those decisions mm-hmm. to just throw caution to the wind and say, screw what happens to the future. We just know that we'll save all of these people by Hydra not being formed. Mm. And... Uh, again, that just, just doesn't seem like Daisy to me. So, so yeah, I've got I've got my one complaint there. Then I have my complaint of the the uh, back and forth of Freddy's character. Now, if it was planned that way, well, then bravo, beautifully done, and I shouldn't be complaining at all. But I have to hold out that possibility that it was just slightly disjointed, and they didn't realize that. Yeah. So even, even again, even if it was planned and I take my Nick picks into account, I have to rate this episode a nine. Whenever we talk about an average episode of anything that we review or an average film of anything that we review, it's always is whatever we're talking about a good representation of whatever it is we're talking about and or reviewing. And this is the first 15 minutes of this episode, I was a little bit concerned because I felt like we were going to get something a little bit filler-based. And then it started to really amp up as Daisy starts to know her onions. And then it it, it took off like a rocket. And, and I, I really enjoy that. And, and so is this episode an average episode? It's easily an average episode. When you start stacking on the potential lore that's included inside of this episode, when you start adding on the twists and turns that are outside-the-box storytelling that make it satisfying, that amps it up even more. And so I, too, give this episode a 9. That's where we ask you, what did you rate this episode? Season 7, Episode 2, the final season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Know Your Onions. Let us know what you think by going to our website over at agentsofshield.tv. Fill out the quick web form and tell us what you think. Until next time, I'm Mike Wilkerson, one of your hosts. And I'm Nicholas J. Hearn, your other host. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. We're thankful you were able to review this covert communication, reviewing the most recent episode of Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., a chronicle of the stories and soon-to-be legends on ABC. Be sure to tune in to our ongoing top-secret communication with agents all over the globe via our Facebook presence immediately. Facebook.com forward slash S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast to be the first to be made aware of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. news, the arrival of our newest reviews, and more. The Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, a super show for fans of superheroes. Uncover the mysteries, critical information, and reviews now by accessing agentsofshield.tv. That's agentsofshield.tv. End. This top secret two guys talking communication. 
Let us know what you think by going again over to our web, going over to our website. That's agentsofshield.tv. Fill out the quick web form and let us know what you think. If you'd like to make a call, okay. I lost the. are set exactly 25 minutes late. Oh, I'm late for school. <laughs> okay. Welcome back, Nick. It's great to have you. Uh-huh. I'm appreciating the appropriate walkie-talkie technology. That's awesome. Awesome. 